Welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is sponsored by the Communications Network and the Lumina Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena just a little bit more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at Let's Hear Cast.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And if you like the show, please, please, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us. So let's get on to the show. So uh, today on Let's Hear It, we have Cindy Kennard, the executive director of the Annenberg Family Foundation. And um, Eric, give us a little bit on this, and then let's go straight to it. And then there's a lot, again, as usual, to talk about with this one afterwards. Yeah. So Cindy, it comes out of journalism, a long and storied career in journalism. And now she's at Annenberg in Los Angeles. And uh, it <laughs> it is really fun to talk to somebody who has had that much experience, particularly as a journalist and in interviewing people and things like that. It's a little intimidating to interview someone who's interviewed thousands of <laughs> yeah, <I can laughs> like famous people. <laughs> but we did our best. I right. did my best. And yeah. uh, uh, the other thing that I will just, I will kind of uh, want to put a pin in is that Cine has, I would say, uh, some unconventional thoughts about foundations and communications mm. that uh, are worth listening to. Yep. It's not the same old yep. stuff, that's yep. for sure. Yeah. Let's come back. Cindy, thank you for your willingness to do this. Cindy's been in the role since 2015, and this is well worth the listen. Cindy Kennard, Annenberg Foundation, on a Let's Hear It. Welcome to Let's Hear It. I am so excited to have our guest, Cindy Kennard, who's the executive director of the Annenberg Foundation on this week. Cindy, I just have to thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited about this conversation. I say it every time, but this time I mean it. So I guess I'm your favorite, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> I'm your bestie. <laughs> yes, you are, you're my bestie. I'm going to start off with this really extraordinary resume of yours, which, I mean, it's just amazing. You, you started your career in journalism you started in radio, you went into television, and I won't go through the list of all the places, but you covered the Anita Hill and the Clarence Thomas sexual harassment hearings. You covered the 1992 presidential election uh, and and, Gover and Richard's race for governor of Texas. You went to CBS News and covered the 1993 constitutional crisis in Russia. You became the managing editor at NPR West. You launched that NPR work in California. I mean, you um, you worked with Tavis Smiley. You worked on Day to Day, Morning Edition, and now you run the Annenberg Foundation. So that's amazing. All of what you just listed has trained me for exactly where I am today. And that isn't to say that philanthropy is a battlefield or a combat zone, but it is to say that it's really prepared me to have a front row seat and realize that there is such a, a need for philanthropy in this world uh, we live in today. And frankly, there has been, you know, since it its inception, of course. But I think it's more acute today. Well, I'm just curious, how many interviews would you 
say that you've conducted? Hundreds and hundreds. And by the way, everything from world leaders to members of the royal family to elected politicians in the great state of Texas. I mean, I was in Texas at the same time. Molly Ivins was in Texas and we were colleagues and it was a great time to watch the great state of Texas emerge as such a powerhouse that it is now with electoral votes and certainly the power that it has to shape the American electorate. My timing was always really good in journalism. So that enabled me to do those hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And and it also included, Eric, going to the scene of multiple shootings and talking to victims and first responders and all of that that shapes you as an individual that can sit in this very privileged position that I am today. Well, that's really cool because I think I've done 24. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, but that's good. That's good. (laughs) I guess so. All this is to say that, well, it's a little intimidating to be interviewing you. I I feel like I'm sitting in with Shirley Horn, I don't know, playing tennis with Billie Jean King. But anyway, I, I'm I'm really excited to have this conversation. You have all this experience in having these kinds of conversations. And, and I have to say, I have a ton of questions for you. I'm really excited to talk about how you have taken this life in communications and, apl- and, and you're applying it to philanthropy, because I, I think that's really important. And also, I don't know, for someone who has lived in Los Angeles for a long time, I, I guess you could say I, I cut my teeth in Los Angeles or, or whatever, but it was it was clear that Annenberg was and is like Elvis. You know, it's everywhere. The the footprint of the Annenberg family and the and the foundation and this I mean this constellation of arts and cultural institutions is extraordinary. So I'd love it if you'd talk about how that plays out, how you think about what Annenberg's doing, not just for the region. Uh, you know, in and around Los Angeles, but I don't know, for the, for the rest of us as well. Thank you for punctuating that part of the Annenberg journey, because Wallace Annenberg, who is just simply a treasure among among the greats, she's just incredible. The daughter of our founder has really used Los Angeles as her canvas, where her philanthropy has been built over this course of about a decade or more. And her focus has been incredible. And and largely here, though, there is still an enormous footprint for this foundation in the capitals of the country and the world, by the way, from Washington to New York to Paris to London. But I have to dial back a little bit because you you and I were just talking about communications and my experience and your experience in communications. Well, as life would have it, your listeners may or may not know that the Annenberg Foundation Fortune the Annenberg fortune was made in communications. So the ambassador sold Triangle Publications to Rupert Murdoch for $3 billion in the last century. And then, of course, used it because he believed to much is given, much is expected. And that really was his way of operating to become someone who was arguably the greatest philanthropist of the last century. And how could it be that somebody who spent their life in communications is now at the head of this organization? Because this foundation really does operate in many ways. Some days I feel myself like a newsroom because you have Wallace Annenberg, who is the chief executive of this organization and three of her adult children who are the trustees. And they are newsreaders. They are consumers of information. Wallace reads five newspapers a day. I mean, this is in their DNA. And so 
when something happens. Let's talk about Los Angeles because there is obviously a great concentration of the $5 billion that have been given away in 30 years. Over a billion of that has been focused on Los Angeles, and that is pretty remarkable. And again, that's at her leadership because when the ambassador led the organization, it was based mostly in Philadelphia, though you know its wings spread across the nation. But anyway, so my communications background, again, is in great alignment with the way this family of philanthropists think and react and innovate and create. And that's what they've done in Los Angeles, from the Performing Arts Center that Wallace has contributed to that has elevated around the city with theater and dance and music. And Wallace driving down the street of the Pacific Coast Highway one day and seeing a shuttered old beach club that was sitting there that had been um, damaged in the Northridge quake in 94. And she said, you know what, here's all these private beach clubs and that one's shuttered and people need to have access to that beach club. And she went ahead and gave a $35 million grant to the city of Santa Monica. And they then opened that beach house 10 years ago. And now guess what? Everybody in LA has access to the beach and has access to that beach club. It's amazing. It is amazing. I've been to the beach club because the Annenberg Foundation made it available to the communications network when we had our conference in Los Angeles for free. And we were able to have a terrific event and engage our colleagues in in terrific ways. I just have to say that is a breathtaking act of philanthropy on her part. You know, these are innovators. These are creators. These are thinking out of the box trustees. The other things, Wallace will see something like a trend that's occurring in our country. In 2019, for the first time, there's more people alive over 60 than under 18. And so we've made that tipping point of longevity as a great phenomena in our country, in our society, and none of us are talking about it enough. And she said to me three years ago, let's look at this. And we embedded a PhD student from Stanford into the foundation and went off and running. And next year, late next year, we will open what we think will be the first new type of vibrant center for people that are aging that you can go to during the day and it'll have a tech bar and it'll have creative (laughs) programming and it will address wellness and it won't be like some of the senior centers that we've seen in the past. It will align with what we need in this part of the 21st century. This is the kind of philanthropist that I work with and for. Ah, That's really amazing. Uh, Well, I want to talk about communications since obviously, well, this is a communications podcast. I find that your work in the center of communications is is really interesting, particularly now at a time where we don't know, you know, where journalism is going. You know, we just don't know what the future will hold. We don't we certainly don't know what the newspaper business is going to look like. How do you think about communications in the modern era? How do you actually do what you can to ensure that people get good information, that they you know, that that elections don't get hacked because it's so easy to move public opinion. Look, here's another great part of the Annenberg Foundation and the assets of this foundation that have been given away both in the last century and this. There's the Annenberg School at the University of Pennsylvania that you know of, the Annenberg School for Communication. There's the Annenberg School at USC, the Annenberg School for Journalism and Communications. And as director of the foundation, I sit on trust at both of those schools. So I'm able, in my capacity as a trustee, 
on those trusts of those schools, I'm able to weigh in and obviously monitor what's being done. And so my great colleague, the former dean of the University of Pennsylvania, just completed a book about the alleged, you know, Russian interference in in the elections. And so I'm able to be very much a part of those discussions, which is great. The University of Southern California, Annenberg School for Communications. And by the way, Wallace mandated several years back that she didn't want it to just be called the Annenberg School for Communications, but she also wanted it to be called the Annenberg School for Communications and Journalism. And when we live in a world where the Miami Herald reporter can break the Jeffrey Epstein story. Track this. It's going to come right back to philanthropy. And Epstein was using his money and gave it to the MIT lab and somebody took it. And there was an enormous controversy and the head of that lab has to quit. And not only does he have to quit, but he has to step down from the board of the Knight Foundation. And I think it was the MacArthur Foundation. Check my facts on that. I mean, look at the tentacles from hardworking, amazing Julie Brown at the Miami Herald breaking that story that had tentacles everywhere, including right straight back to how people give away money and what they do with money to influence others. It's a philanthropy story as well. One other thing I just want to say is, you know, we were approached recently to be part of a really neat initiative on fallen journalists in this time when journalism is just being attacked. I was really lucky. I was in the profession when it was really regarded as something noble, as something of service to the nation. I mean, I really was. That was my era. Now we know that in this era of, quote, fake news, at least it being labeled fake news in so many places, including from the highest parts of our government. It's a troubling time. And so we were recently approached to take the lead on what will be, we hope, a fallen journalist monument in Washington, D.C. And so the Annenberg Foundation with the Tribune Foundation out of Chicago, we just launched, it was announced at the National Press Club a couple of weeks ago, an effort to get Congress to approve a place in Washington, D.C. that would be a memorial slash monument to fallen journalists. I'm very much circling these issues around journalism that even I'm so discouraged and um, saddened, you know, with in this day and age. Uh, I'm able to at least do what I can from this perch to ensure that we elevate it in some way as a respectable profession that people can still go into and still give voice to the voiceless and power to the powerless. I mean, that's a Miami Herald reporter that sat there and went after those court documents. We can't do without that in this country. You know, we just can't. Yeah, we no. just can't. Yeah, I completely agree with you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment with Cindy Connard, the executive director of the Annenberg Foundation. You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. Let's Hear It is made possible through the generous support of the Communications Network and the Lumina Foundation. You can find Let's Hear It online at letshearitcast.com or on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. 
Welcome back to Let's Hear It. We are speaking with Cindy Kennard, the executive director of the Annenberg Foundation in Los Angeles. So, Cindy, we were just talking about philanthropy and journalism. And, well, here's a really big question, which foundation people, I think, would be really excited about because (laughs) I guess it places us in an important part in our democracy. My question is that well, if journalism is necessary to a functioning democracy, and if the for-profit model for journalism is, well, let's just call it in trouble, and if foundations are beginning to support journalism, does that mean, does that mean that foundations or philanthropy can help save democracy? So, oh my God, what a daunting task! Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that's just that's a lot because you know, honestly, let's talk about money for a minute. News gathering is expensive if it's done in the right way. It's not a cheap ticket item. In other words, I know we live in a world of take your phone, take a picture, put it up. There you go. You have a story. But the truth is, for Julie K. Brown, I keep going back to her to dig up that story and illuminate what Epstein's deal had been with the government or with the courts, excuse me, and ultimately the government. But that takes time and it takes money. So we we can't operate a nonprofit news network in this country because it wouldn't sustain itself. Mm. Philanthropy doesn't have enough money to pay that. You know, we're talking about all my years at NPR, where the foreign desk was one of the most costly parts of that operation. You're deploying people into war zones and into foreign capitals and that costs money. So a nonprofit, a totally nonprofit model is really hard to sustain. I mean, look at NPR, for example, that's a membership organization where stations pay to be part of that, to cover that, you know, 100 and something billion dollar budget. So I think that philanthropy can do its part. And certainly we do it here, giving to to one organization that's actually giving young reporters a chance to work with public radio. It's called Report for America. It's kind of a national service program that puts journalists into local newsrooms. And so we give to that and we give to, you know, some of these smaller journalism nonprofit startups. But in order to sustain the whole ecosystem, I don't know, Eric, I think it's kind of unreasonable to think that we're going to get the level of what we once had with philanthropy coming to save the day. I think let's look at it in a way where there might be models where Los Angeles philanthropy could support Los Angeles and potentially Sacramento, you know, nonprofits. I think it's more of a local ecosystem that you could create with philanthropy. But thinking of full scale saving of that profession, and I'm still going to call it a profession, that would seem daunting, I think. It would be more of, you know, my friend Alberto at Knight Foundation is doing a great job where he can. Certainly my friend Darren Walker at the Ford Foundation and my dear colleague is doing what he can. We're all kind of trying to do what we can to tick away at this. But I mean, what do you think? I mean, I'd I'd love to hear you on that as well. well. Thank you uh, for asking. I I guess I don't know if you don't know. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I'm doing the interview. I got to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly an honor. I have to tell you that. Um, you know, I do think it's interesting, though, because I, I I recently interviewed Drew Altman of the Kaiser Family Foundation. And what he did was he just turned his foundation into a news media organization. And it has become one of the most trusted names in health coverage these days and for not a ton of money. So if you think about it, of course, there are folks who have good intentions. They're 
buying news organizations like the Washington Post and others. Uh, and obviously, there's people who think that that's, that's dangerous that Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. So I guess it goes both, both ways. But actually, this is a nice little transition into the other question about whether philanthropy exists to perpetuate the model on which the money for philanthropy was earned. I'm not sure if you've been following Anand Girdadas's book about this, but there's this debate that philanthropy exists to perpetuate its own system and the economic context that allowed philanthropy to happen in the first place. In other words, that it's uh, it's elites supporting elites for the purposes of perpetuating the elites. I mean, I don't know. What do you say to that? I take issue with that. Certainly from where I sit, it's just simply an unfair characterization when you look about the country and the world in the work that's being done. And I think the work speaks for itself. I keep thinking about the day that California was on fire last year and and the government had nowhere to place the first responders, the services that the government would offer to fire victims. And I mean, these were the worst fires in California history. And I went up to my friend Peter at the Hilton Foundation and the Hilton Foundation had taken its entire office building and given it over to the government and located every social agency that was committed to helping the victims of those fires. And I thought to myself, who else could do this besides philanthropy? Who else would think in that way? Who else would take a building? And by the way, they were in the middle of a move. So some of that building was vacant at the time because Hilton was moving into another building. But it was a spectacular sight to see when each floor had a different government agency, whether it was the county or the state or the feds located in that building, and that they could make that available within a 24 to 48 hour period. And people were lined up outside fire victims getting assistance. I don't think many organizations other than philanthropy and philanthropy leadership could have pulled off something like that. I can tick through story after story, issue after issue where philanthropy has stepped in, higher education, health care, homeless housing. I don't think that for-profit organizations are wired for that. I've worked on both sides in nonprofit and for-profit. And the philanthropic sector is conditioned and wired to respond to some of society's most vexing problems. I really take issue of this elite label. Surely as every sector, there are cases where there's abuse. But I think for the most part, it's really not a fair characterization when you've seen philanthropy step in during disasters in our country. I've seen philanthropy step in in war zones across this world and be responsive. I don't know. Again, I I would defer to you to to say what some of your thoughts are over there. It's just, it's not valid. (laughs) We know at this foundation that we are a privileged institution Mm -hmm. and it's because the government has given us the right. And we take that very seriously, that we are here to help the most underserved. And we don't sit at a table with people that look exactly like us that are in our same income strata. We have a whole part of this foundation that deals with what we call community grant making. And anybody in this community can come 
with a letter of inquiry and apply for funds. Huh. And we do due diligence and they can obtain money. And they're dealing with the most challenging parts of Los Angeles right now. So I think it's an unfair characterization and not well thought out. Well, I tend to agree with you. Obviously, I make my living in philanthropy, but I honestly, I try to be as candid as I possibly can about this. Now, needless to say, philanthropy is by no means perfect, and we're always trying to figure out how we can do better. I don't know. What do you, what do you think some of the areas you think that we need to improve on are? I think that we have tended to, as a sector, become a little bit more political than we need to be over the last four to eight years. I mean, I I really don't think we should be in the advocacy business. I think that there's enough work to do around issues that are facing our communities and our states and our regions and our country. You know, we're living in an extremely polarized country at the moment. And I don't think that philanthropy is doing the best it can to put its head down and go to work and not get caught up in it. I think we could do better. I really do. We're here to help those that need us. And entering into this political argument and this polarization that's going on in the country right now, I just don't think philanthropy has a place in it. Um, we're too busy, and I'm too busy, and I know many of my colleagues are too busy. But I think we – it's so tempting, I'm sure, to some to really get pulled into it. It's just not our role. It's not what philanthropy is designed to be. Huh. That's, I know, that's really interesting. I think you're uh, in the minority opinion on that one. But uh, there certainly is, there's certainly plenty to do. You've got that part. I agree with you there. It's really simple. We have an extraordinary amount of work to do. And there's ways to address things that you're troubled by that don't require taking political positions. And um, it's not necessary. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, can you give us a little peek ahead at what's next at Annenberg? What are some of the questions that you'd love to be able to help answer? So, look, there is the challenge of homelessness in this city and in this state and across this country that I think it's one of the deep frustrations of Wallace Annenberg and myself and the foundation that we can't do more. We're actually going to announce in November a permanent supportive housing project. It's a public-private partnership with actual uh, units of housing. But wh why can't we just do more? It's just hard. Taxpayers said, yes, I'll pay for uh, what was called Triple H and H, which were two uh, measures on the ballot to provide for permanent supportive housing and then uh, infrastructure. And still, we're just stuck in place as a society. And so what can we be doing more? It's very frustrating. We're doing what we can, but it's not I think we both feel it and the foundation feels it's not enough. So we constantly work on that. We're doing a lot with our tech community. Annenberg Foundation has led the way in a great way to say to our tech community, could Los Angeles do this different? You lived in Los Angeles. Eric, the ecosystem has just grown exponentially here in the last five years, both through tech startups, but also through venture capital and private equity. So Annenberg, about four years ago, we launched something called Annenberg Tech, and uh, we raised our hands to the tech community and the venture capitalists and said, we're here, 
What can we do to connect you with those dealing with the most vexing problems here? Mm -hmm. What can we do to get you to enter into a conversation where you might address diversity, equity, Uh and inclusion in the tech sector? And four years later, we have an organization called Pledge LA, where over 150 tech companies and venture capitalists have signed on to say that they pledge diversity, equity, and inclusion in hiring. So we're trying to close the opportunity gap there. And they have signed that pledge that also includes, number two, a commitment to give back to Los Angeles and not go outside of the city when they're thinking about this surge of new wealth that's in this community. We're really, really proud of that initiative because we believe it doesn't really exist in this form anywhere else in the country. We're hoping we can export it um, when we've got it at a point, you know, where we like it. And then we're dealing, I, I mentioned the longevity issue, certainly arts and culture. I was really happy that my friend Darren Walker included us in his op ed in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago as one of two foundations in the country that are innovating and doing a great job with diversity around the arts. We just closed a hip hop exhibit, which generated about 4,000 people a weekend and brought the most diverse crowds I've ever seen to the Annenberg space for photography in Los Angeles. It was extraordinary. So, this is a busy place. And <laughs> it just never seems to stop. It's a 24-7 universe that, that is really incredible. It's a great American family. It's, it's really a great story. Cindy Kennard, thank you so very much for coming on the show. It's been such a delight speaking with you. Oh, Eric, it was my pleasure. My pleasure. Good luck. Thank you again. Cindy Kennard of the Annenberg Foundation. Thank you so much. All right, and we're back. Oh my goodness, Eric Brown, Cindy Canardo, let's hear it. That was awesome. That's fun, huh? So um, tell me about the part about interviewing somebody who's interviewed, it sounds like everybody in the world. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> and I appreciated you bringing that up because I, I agree, like, and she was so personable and so gracious, clearly, but um, how was that? Because she's clearly a master of that whole domain, right? It scared the, scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> That's how it was. I kept waiting for her. like, what a terrible question. Here's how I would have asked it. But no, she, she's too nice to do that. But yeah, it's a little intimidating. How crazy is it that the Annenberg Foundation, the fortune that it was that created it was a sale to Rupert Murdoch? Yeah. I, I almost had to go back and listen to that again. I, I was like, wow, that's a weird convergence of things. In it? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I I just won't go there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So one of the things we've had um, multiple family foundation people on this podcast, mm-hmm. and I guess you could argue in some formulation, most of these major foundations that we've worked in and around ha- could could call that part of their legacy. Because even when they professionalize, they're probably professionalizing around a particular family's experience and, and the wealth generated, et cetera. But um. This just felt to me another reminder of the power of this notion of family philanthropy and local philanthropy and just hearing about all of the work that Wallace Annenberg has been doing around L.A. just itself for all yeah. these years. A billion dollars. I mean, the scale of the investments that come up is just – it's extraordinary. Listen Seems to like that. a lot. 
Doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it? Like billion here, billion here, there, it all adds up eventually. So we actually, we were at that communications network conference that was in the beach house. At the beach house. With Santa Monica. That's a beautiful building too. Right? I couldn't, I don't think I- It was just a shack. It was just a crappy shack. And Annenberg bought it and fixed it up and makes it available for people to do events and things like that. Nonprofit folk. Eric, you had said in the setup, I think maybe, what was the word you used? Was it unconventional? I, I can't remember. That was okay. a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Several minutes ago. But uh, but Sydney's view of the role of uh, foundations related to communications in these topics, what would you? how would you characterize that? Well, she, you talk, you know, she said, she talked about political advocacy being yeah. as outside the kind of the purview or the appropriate purview of foundations, which I found fascinating mm-hmm. because it is almost... 180 from where a lot of foundations are right now. Mm-hmm. Foundations want to use their voice. They want to be able to move ideas and policies and things like that in ways that they believe are appropriate. And given the way foundations are set up, it is something that is at their at their disposal. So I find that really interesting. So I was thinking about that. And yeah. I and I, I was like, why wouldn't she want to do that? And, and of course, it, don't, it smacked me on the side of my head. She's a journalist. <laughs> and journalists don't. They cover the news. Yeah. They report things as they see them. They don't believe, most journalists, I think, don't believe that it is their role to advocate for a particular policy. If they if they want to do that, then they go and become a columnist yeah. where, where they do get that opportunity. So I think that's where that's coming from. But I also think it's fascinating also for a foundation that is working on local service issues in Los Angeles, where if you go to Los Angeles, you just kind of see the inequities you know, right in front of your eyes, just like you do in San Francisco. Yeah. And you know, any of these places that are really wealthy yeah. end up having lots of problems. And I think that the Annenberg Foundation is attempting to address some of that. In, uh, and and so therefore, if there is a focus on addressing homelessness or dealing with some of the many challenges that are brought about by income inequality in Los Angeles, then that may take focus as well. So that may be behind some of that. Yeah. But I do believe that she is very much in the minority in the field of philanthropy. But so what I thought was so interesting about it, because she also said busy. She said, we're too yeah, yeah. busy, right? And and I thought, you know, what I hear in that is a focus on outcomes. What I hear in that is a focus on, because everything she talked about, all of these many ways that Annenberg has been involved, even with the uh, two schools, the two schools of journalism, right? Yeah, they have the Annenberg name. Actually, communications and journalism, right? right? You know, that, that link was made. But um, but. All of these things that we're hearing about are specific, physical. These are the changes we've created with our investments. And the part of what she's talking about that I actually really relate to, too, and what I've seen is that this this link between advocacy and politics and politicization and the um, polarization that she talks about you know, if you can find places to do the work where those aren't your driving sensibilities, but you're able to bring big tents of people together and actually see things happen, get real outcomes, um, generate real outcomes. That's extremely gratifying work. And, and I, and I felt like I was hearing a little bit in that. And clearly when she's talking about the role of journalists and even talking about the Miami Herald, you know, reported that broke the Epstein story and all the work, she clearly is invested in the kinds of uh, work and discovery that lead to change, right. In a significant way. But I just, I thought that was a really interesting reflection in terms of the role of philanthropy and, 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 and what it can do, what it can, what the role can play. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. It's just such a treat to hear what you're doing, 
we thank you for joining us on our podcast. And yeah, I can't wait great. to see more from Mandenberg, man. That's really going to be cool to see what they're working on. Yeah, well, that was a fun one. Thanks so much. Until next time, let's hear it. And that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show. And that includes yourself. We'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator. John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Communications Network, the Lumina Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments. Thank you, thank you. And check out the Heinz Endowment, their terrific podcast, We Can Be. That's hosted by Grant Oliphant, and you can find it at heinz.org slash podcast. We would certainly like to thank today's guest, and of course, all of you, and thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> no, no. Thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Till next time. Let's hear it. <laughs>